0: I'm very excited to share this recording with you guys, which happened at our conference, sasopen.com, with over a hundred speakers, all founders of B2B SaaS companies. We have a very high bar for what speakers share on stage, so you're gonna enjoy this episode where we dive deep into revenue graphs, real tactics, and real growth metrics. You are listening to Conversations with Nathan Latka, where I sit down and interview the top SaaS founders, like Eric Wan from Zoom. If you'd like to subscribe, go to gitlatka.com. We've published thousands of these interviews. And if you want to sort through them quickly by revenue or churn, CAC, valuation, or other metrics, the easiest way to do that is to go to getlatka.com and use our filtering tool. It's like a big Excel sheet for all of these podcast interviews. Check it out right now at gitlatka.com.
1: Back in 2019, I hired five of Rippling's first CSMs. And since then, I've placed over 60 people at 15 other companies. And if that's not impressive, I also had a baby. So shout out to the ladies. Hiring is essential for growth. But most people aren't very good at it, which is a problem because it's extremely expensive. Many employers estimate that a new hire can cost three to four times their salary. And costs go up exponentially as you spin your wheels, trying to figure out who to hire. So I help my clients figure out who they need, how to find them, and how to get them to say yes to an offer. And over the next 20 minutes, I'm going to teach you how to do that yourselves. First thing you have to do is get very specific about who you need. So you need to build a candidate persona, and that will help you reduce your time to hire, accelerate your sourcing, and produce higher quality candidates. I'm going to dig a little bit deeper into the three factors that I typically spend the most time talking to my clients about and that have a big impact on startups. Industry, customer size, and growth stage. The value of industry alignment is obvious, right? If you hire somebody within your industry, they understand your customers' pain points, priorities, they speak their lingo, and they're also probably a lot more passionate about what you're trying to build than other candidates would be. You're looking at those five CSMs that I placed four years ago. And they are an excellent example of when industry alignment produces exceptional hires. All of them had customer success experience, but they all also had HR tech experience coming from companies like Zenefits, Namely, and Castlight. Four of five worked or have worked at Rippling for over three years. Three are still there, and two are director level, and collectively lead a team of about 100. These are similar examples. I placed Addie at Open Invest three years ago. She's still there, has been promoted twice as a VP. And her banking and and consulting experience was perfect for Open Invest, because they're a sustainable investment platform. I placed Joe and Sean at Keeper very recently, and they have, you guessed it, bookkeeping experience. And obviously, they haven't been there for very long, but they were very quick studies and started providing value almost immediately. The value of customer size is a little bit less obvious. But for go-to-market roles, it can actually be more important than industry. The ability to build, oh, one of those didn't come through. Um, The ability to build. Uh, scaled one to many cadences requires a very different skill set than an enterprise customer success motion. And of all of my clients, Gorgeous and Strong DM are the best example of this dichotomy. Gorgeous is a help desk for e commerce. And when I was building their customer success team, their ACV hovered around 3,000. And Roman, the CEO, needed people who could see trends in customer data, could predict. Uh, churn and expansion based off of behavior patterns. And the ability to manipulate data was so important, in fact, that a lot of the middle management had to know how to write their own SQL queries. And traditional customer-facing experience or uh, skills like relationship building, Uh, and objection handling was almost irrelevant. So I sourced a lot of people from investment banking and consulting rather than other startups. StrongDM, on the other hand, was just closing their first seven-figure deals when I placed Lauren and Miles. And the only metric that the CCO Skylar cared about was reducing time to value during 9 to 12-month deployments. CSMs would manage maybe five accounts, as opposed to hundreds at Gorgeous, And they had to be able to run meetings with 25 customer stakeholders across five different teams, all with different priorities, be able to build relationships with each and every one of them, detect hidden objections, build consensus in order to keep the ball rolling. So two customer success teams at companies at very similar growth stages, completely different candidate personas. Oh, man. Well, Shane is beautiful. Um, <laughs> so back to Joe and Sean. So their bookkeeping experience gave them a leg up over, um, over other candidates. And startup experience wasn't as important because they were the second and third CSMs. But when you, you're hiring the first person for a function, startup experience is actually more important than anything else. And so Ben, Keeper's uh, CEO, when he was first looking for his first CSM, he was interviewing almost exclusively traditional accountants. And I, I was adamant that he instead focus on hiring someone with startup experience. If you're the pr- first person in a function, you have to make order out of chaos, right? There's no scripts to read, no processes to follow, so you want somebody who's done this before. When we first had this conversation, he wasn't so sure. Um, but he found Shayna. She had a previous startup experience, and she's been awesome. He eventually came around. And he probably would have, hopefully, come to this conclusion himself. But had we not had this conversation, he would have been spinning his wheels talking to the wrong people. So take the time to build a candidate persona and adjust it as needed. You're not going to get it right the first time. That's okay. The best CEOs that I know can admit when they're wrong and can course correct quickly. Okay, So now we know who we need. How are we going to find them? If you're lucky, the perfect person may fall in your lap and apply to your job posting. But nine times out of 10, probably more, you're going to have to go and find them. So that's what I'm particularly good at. And I'm going to share with you some of my secrets. Now, there are a lot of ways to go about sourcing. And I've tried a ton of different AI tools. They're great because they aggregate information across the web. But I haven't found that they're accurate enough. LinkedIn is the source of truth for business profiles. Not the case for engineers, but for the searches that I do, second to none. So I pretty much exclusively use LinkedIn. These are some of the. Most important filters to me. I almost always use job title. I find that it is the best indication of both seniority and function. Industries. There's no SaaS industry, which is really annoying. <laughs> um, but, trick, internet comes really close. Customer, or sorry, computer software is second best. So I usually start with those, look through everybody, and then I remove the filter. And keywords is where it gets really interesting. So. If you don't know Boolean, look it up. It's pretty simple and it allows you to build pretty complex keyword strings. Uh, in terms of looking for folks with SAS experience, you can also use acronyms like MRR, ARR, ACV. I also like those keywords because they're usually attached to metrics. And if you see metrics on a candidate profile, that's a very strong indication of a top performer, which is why I use. The ones below it as well, year over year, month over month. Another little trick: you can't put the percentage sign in the keyword box, but you can put every digit followed by the keyword or the followed by the percent sign, and that should grab everybody with percentages on their profiles. So, okay. Oh man, this is really important. I don't know what's going on here, guys, but I'll I'll just uh, explain it. So, um, <laughs> this is my typical template. Um <laughs> and basically all this is it says, you know, hey yada yada, some sort of intro and then a very strong short company pitch and then a sentence or two about why I'm reaching out to them. Hey, let me know if you're interested. More info below. Thanks, Sarah. And then below, right here, I put bullet points. Very specific information about the company and If you can include compensation information, do it. It will radically increase your response rates, and it will also allow people to self-select out if you can't afford them. So um, my response rates are ridiculously high for first-time LinkedIn outreach. You can also email people, and sometimes that'll help as well, but I don't need to. Um, I have some templates that get 60% and above response rates. And my average is just about two and a half times the average LinkedIn response rate. So I wish you could see this, but I can send it to you afterwards if you want. Um, and I've shared it with some internal recruiting teams. And when they use it, there's in, uh, response rates increase as well. OK. So the company pitch. Oh, no, this is a, I didn't see this on anybody else's. OK, well, this is. <laughs> This has like a bunch of people responding to me, and they're like, "Hey, Sarah, thank you so much for the personalized message. I can really tell that you spent all spent all this time on my profile." And the point I wanted to make here was that um, I don't actually spend that much time personalizing. Uh, people think I do because I've created this super specific candidate persona. I'm only reaching out to those people that fit it, um, and so. It's already pretty much a slam dunk. You don't have to work all that hard to personalize. It's just something like, hey, I see you have deep experience in e-commerce and you're also very analytical. That would be great for this role. Any chance you'd want to join a startup? Okay. So company pitch is the toughest part. An early stage is way too risky for most candidates. And I work typically with seed and series A. If you're a first time founder, you're going to have an uphill battle. But even if you're not, you haven't yet proven that this idea is going to work. Rippling. They've had a rough couple of days since the bank collapse, which they handled expertly, I might add. But they're doing pretty well, right? When I started building out their CS team, all anybody could think about was Zenefits. Fortunately for me, I'm probably Parker's biggest fan. And I had worked with most or many of the rippling folks back at Zenefits. So when I would talk to candidates, and I told them, hey, if I ever worked for anybody else, it would be them. And authenticity shows through. So ask yourself, why do you believe in this idea? Why do other people believe in you? There's really no silver bullet, but I typically recommend that you share how much funding you've received, any notable, any notable investors, as well as anything that points to some traction in the market. Keeper, they've got a couple things going against them. They've got young, first-time founders. They're in a crowded space. And they often get mistaken for Keeper security. But. They're YC alums. They had some impressive revenue growth last year. And they have the most impressive conversion rate I have ever seen. 50% of self-serve free trials convert to paid. 85% convert if they talk to sales or customer success. And they weren't even talking about it. Now they do, of course. And uh, it's done wonders for their recruiting. OK, great. Uh, That's not all that important. That's fine. So once you're talking to your candidate, they've responded. uh, How do you evaluate whether or not they're a fit? Focus on outcomes. Know exactly why you're hiring for this role and what you want them to accomplish once they join. And then during the interview, tailor your conversation towards those outcomes. So you want to listen for numbers. You want to listen for impact. If they say, we accomplished this, ask them, OK, but what were you responsible for? And this will also help set proper expectations and set them up for success when they join. OK, you fall in love with the candidate. You want them to accept an offer. <laughs> On the very first call, figure out what makes them tick. Why are they talking to you? right? How eager are they they to join a new company? And what is going to get them to say yes? You always want to level set on comp. They don't have to give you a number. But if you give them a range, then you can usually get a sense of whether or not you're aligned. And then ask about concerns throughout the interview process. They'll be much more likely to tell you if you ask. And then you'll get an opportunity to address them. And give them a verbal offer. Not only will this increase the acceptance of written offers, um, which it, some people track that metric. Um, but it also gives you leverage during negotiation. So if one of my clients really wants to hire somebody, and I know that they're going to negotiate, I get a sense of the numbers, and then I say something like this. I talk to the candidate, and I say, look, they love you. They want to they wanna make an offer. Um, and, I, and I bet that they'll negotiate, because at that point, they've, they've said that they wanted to. And I say, I think, you know, I, think I can get you this number but i can't make that ask unless i know that you're pretty likely to say yes simple it works and if you're a founder you can say hey i got to talk to my co-founder i got to talk to my board but you don't want to negotiate and raise the salary level and then they then they say no so it's perfectly reasonable right um, and give a time limit i think Less than 48 hours is a little too short. It's not very reasonable. But over a week is too much, except in extenuating circumstances. If they're taking longer than that, they probably don't really want to join the company. And they're probably leveraging your offer against others. And vacant seats cost you money. So if they're going to decline, you need to hire somebody else. Jason Lemkin recently said somewhere between 20 and 50 percent of your job as a CEO will always be recruiting, forever. So you might as well get good at it. I hope this was valuable. That's all I got.
0: Sarah, thank you so much. Any questions about building teams, recruiting? I'm how to get how to contact you to get the oh, oh yeah yeah.
1: Okay. No questions? We have a question. Do you specialize in customer
0: (laughs) success?
1: Yeah, I I occasionally do some other go to market searches as well, but almost exclusively customer success. Technical recruiting? Yeah. If you have, like. If I have any referrals? Well, not referrals, but tips, actually. Um, Oh, sure. Uh, So with engineers, you want to be. Again, very, very, very specific. So what languages are they going to be using? Um, anything that, I mean, that's the biggest one that comes to mind. It's been a while since I've done a search. But you're not going to really find them on LinkedIn, and they're not going to really respond to LinkedIn messages. So you want to look at, like, GitHub, Stack Overflow, and get their email. Okay.
0: Most of them get so many messages on LinkedIn that... Well, exactly. ...it's really interesting, but I think that the response rate is
1: Right, but keep in mind that a lot of the messages that people are getting are like from recruiters saying, Hey, I've got this client and they really want an engineer. Okay, like nothing about comp, nothing about the languages, nothing about anything. They don't even mention the name of the company. So um, being specific is really, really important. Yeah. Thank you so much.